Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, warmer, Billy Bo! Welcome to Lobby Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. We'll be joined in segment number two by Mike Randall. He does great work over at FTN Network and FTN Bets. We're going to be diving in with him about what we've all been seeing in college basketball these last few weeks. A few teams say he's bullish slash bearish on. We're going to be taking a look at some home and road splits, how he analyzes trends with his handicapping, and on top of that, we're going to be diving in on the Monday card with him. And the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we are far those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, maybe does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other way, that's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated them from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a great day of college basketball on Sunday, including the best ATS team in all of college basketball continuing those ways. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Well, the trend all season long has been bet on Minnesota and you'll make money. And once again, they get the job done. 81-70. to 70. This was the DK Network write-up pick. That it's we're back to 20 games above 500. And for Minnesota, they won this game from the outside. Rutgers, they start 3 of 3 from 3, and then they go, I believe, 1 of 16 from 3 to end the game. For Rutgers, they were able to get a relatively solid performance in this one out of Cliff Amarui, 19.8 rebounds, but Minnesota goes 8 of 16 from 3 power range. Farrell Payne, 21 points, 11 rebounds. Minnesota loses a turnover battle, 15 to 8, but did not matter on this day. They get the job done. They just continue to cover. UCLA has been very hot against the spread recently as well, but Utah on the road at the buzzer, thanks to a Brandon Carlson footback, 
they get it done. This by a count of 70 to 69 as for Utah, they go 9 to 28 from three point range and UCLA just 5 to 21 from distance. Yet despite that, you're able to get over the total and the big reason why is that both of these teams were relatively clean with regards to turnovers. Just five for UCLA. You had nine on the side of Utah. And Lazar Safadovich, a former Utah Sando, 19 points. He does go eight of nine at the free throw line, but just one of eight from three range. And Davion Smith, 17 points, 10 assists. Utah, they're able to get the job done. And this team, they continue to get the job done if you've been fading them. As Memphis, it has been rough for them. Memphis loses to SMU 106-79. SMU, by the way, 14-10-1 against the spread. They've been put together a nice season now. Best team out there in the American in terms of covering. We'll get to them in a second, but... For Memphis, they're now 8-18 eight and 18 against the spread, and it's gotten really ugly for Memphis at this point. They have now dropped three straight games. Their lone win in their last four came against the old Temple Owls, and they've already got a home loss on their ledger against Rice as well. I believe that this team has lost all but two out of their last seven games. It's just really, really bad. Dobby Jones, he was able to give the team 10 rebounds. He goes 12 of 22 from the floor, 33 points. And for SMU, they go 12 of 30 from three-point range. They shoot 57% from the floor. SMU wins a turnover battle, 19 to 15. And for Memphis, my goodness, what a rough showing for them. And what a rough showing for St. John's as well. They fall against Seton Hall at home by kind of 68 to 62. And Seton Hall, they didn't shoot lights out from three. They went just three of 15 from distance. For St. John's, they lose a turnover battle by kind of 15 to 11. And Joel Soriano, 13 points, 12 rebounds. But Kadari Richmond was all over the floor for Seton Hall. 18 points, 11 boards out of him. So a nice win on that front. And then I was mentioning it out there in the American. You've got one really good cover team. That would be South Florida. How about 16-5-3 against the spread for them? They take down Florida Atlantic 90-86. And I will say this. South Florida was up 25 points with 8.5 minutes remaining. That lead was cut to 1 with about 30 seconds remaining. But South Florida, they're able to hold on. Thanks Chris Youngblood getting it done at the free throw line. South Florida as a whole, they shoot 27-34 at the charity stripe. But Youngblood specifically, 12-13 at the free throw line. 23 points out of them. You were able to get 10 boards, 8 points out of Corey Walker Jr. As well as for Florian Lank, they lose the rebound battle 34-29. to And for Florian Lank as well, they lose the turnover battle 11-8. to You did still have a pretty solid performance out of John L. Davis, who was able to supply the team with 20 points. But... For Florida Atlantic, 8-24 from three-point South Florida, who has been also one of your best under teams in all of college basketball as well. They do play an over in this circumstance for South Florida. They've been playing north of 66% of their games to the under thus far this season, 16-unders to just eight overs. But in the end, they're able to find a way to persevere, get the job done. And this team has also been able to get the job done. That would be Charlotte. Charlotte is able to take down Wichita State. This by a count of 72 to 61, and Charlotte has been quite a revelation as well. They're now 14 and 10 against the spread, and currently they're 11 and 2 within the American. Meanwhile, for Charlotte, the guy that was able to get it done on this one, Lucille Patterson, he goes 9 of 13 from the floor, and for Wichita State, this bunch they win the rebound battle by a count of 35 to 33, but they did not have Igor Milicic. Red for Charlotte, 14 big rebounds to be able to help them out there. We also did see number two go down on Sunday. Ohio State has been a wreck against the spread, who has had just a tough time in general. They can their coach, and 
Well, under Mr. Diebler, they get the job done 73-69, to and it was, in my opinion, a little bit of a needed change. Jake Diebler, he is the brother of John Diebler, who was a standout for Iowa State way back in the day, got this team to play at a very spirited effort, and for Purdue, they actually go 20 of 20 at the free throw line. Well, I would say they didn't quite match it, but they were still solid. 10 of 11 at the charity stripe. Well, I would say it was just cleaner on this day. They lose the rebound battle 36 uh 23, but they do win the turnover battle 14 to 6. As Zach Eady, 22 points, 13 rebounds, six turnovers in this one, though. And Bruce Thornton, 22 points, three assists, just two turnovers. So Ohio State finds a way to persevere and they're able to get the job done. Also, being able to get the job done if you're looking out there in the Metro Atlantic, you've had some very fascinating teams on that front. The Niagara Purple Eagles. They get another win on the road. 80-66 to a final. And if you're looking specifically at road games for Niagara, they're 12-1 and against the spread for Niagara. They shoot 9 of 17 from 3 power range overall this season. They're shooting about 41% from distance away from home. And they shot 27 of 27 at the free throw line. Tough break for Quinnipiac as Matt Blanich was able to supply the team with 22 points. And Quinnipiac wins the turnover battle 15-8. They do lose the rebound battle though by kind of 33-28. to But for Niagara, they were able to heat up in this one. And they were able to get it done once again on the road. By the way, if you're looking at road against the spread record, 5-11 and against the spread for Mount St. Mary's. They fall to Fairfield by kind of 94-80. to So the Mount, they have got some pretty demonstrative home and road splits, and another team has been able to get it done out there in the Metro Atlantic all season long. This is just in terms of a overall perspective. How about St. Peter's now being 14-9 against the spread? They go on the road. They take down Iona by kind of 59-53 to as for Iona. They allow St. Peter's to just go 18-41 from the floor, but St. Peter's 17-20 at the free throw line. St. Peter's, they had 17 turnovers and 18 made buckets, but Iona, they also had 14 turnovers in this game, and for Iona, they go just 10 of 63 from the floor. So St. Peter's, they find a way to be able to get it done. It's a good Missouri Valley action on Sunday as well. And out there in the Old Valley, you did see a very nice performance out of Drake. 95-72, to they were able to take down Murray State. Murray State now just 11-15 against the spread. And for Drake, they were able to have Kevin Overton really be able to take over this game. He was able to uh, go off for 23 points. He goes 5 of 8 from 3 par inch. While Tucker DeVries, 22 points for Drake. They win the turnover battle 11 to 8. They win the rebound battle 28 to 24. So they're able to continue their winning ways and also being able to continue their winning ways. How about Northern Iowa? It's been an up and down season for them, but they are able to take down Bradley at home. This by kind of 74 to 63. Northern Iowa pretty much a ticker to ticker winner in this one as for Northern Iowa. They go 10 of 24 from three points and 24 of 27 at the free throw line as well. And then one game out there in the SoCon as well. Chattanooga, they fall to Furman by kind of 82 to 65 as Furman. They've been a little bit hot and cold all season long, but they go 11 of 27 from three points, 22 big points of JP Pigs. And they also won the turnover battle 13 to 9 and won the rebound battle 40 to 33. And then also of note in this Sunday, you did see Northwestern go on the road. They take it to Indiana by a count of 76 to 72. It has been a flailing Indiana team to say the least, and one that, well, they just have not been able to make you money, as for Indiana, they're now against the spread 11-13-1, still not at the level of Michigan, who's now 7-19 against the spread, but for Northwestern, 
They're now 1-1 one and one ever since the Tiberi injury. They were able to cover this spread as they go 8-23 of 23 from three-point range. And for Indiana, you did have Khalil Ware supply the team with 22 points, 16 rebounds. But Indiana loses the turnover battle 11-3. They lose the rebound battle 38-37 despite Ware pulling in there these 16 rebounds. And if you're looking at the landscape of college basketball right now, we have been noticing that home underdogs have been... Not having a good time of it. 42, 62, and 2 against the spread. That is a 40.4% clip over the last seven days. Unders are having a nice little surge as well. 165 unders to 158 overs in the last seven days in college basketball. If you're looking at the entirety of the season, it still has been a pretty overwhelming season. Overs hitting at 51.2%, 2,243 overs, 2,135 unders. Home underdogs down to 48.8% for the season. 596, 20, and 20 against the spread. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball, and that's what we all got on Sunday. Now let's take a look at Monday. Let's take a look at uh, some of the trends are being used by our good friend Mike Randall. Teams are ascending slash declining, and now he's utilizing home and roads plus. We're having that chat with Mike Randall of FTN Network and FTN Bets next right here on Coast Coast with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Six Family Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Across Generations where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever 
you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. With myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts, and it is always great to be joined by this man as we're being joined by Mike Randall. Mike does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball, but additionally, I know that over at FTN Network, he covers a little bit of everything. Did a great job this year on the NFL front. Now I know he's shifted his focus a little bit more to the DFS side when it comes to the NBA as they're going to be getting back up and started in the next few days as they're currently on break. But this man, his work never, ever stops because he does such a good job be able to provide us with winners and great insights. And to be able to follow Mike on Twitter slash X, that is easy enough. At Randall Rant altogether. And Mike, it's always great to be able to get you aboard. Thank you. Great, great to be back. What a fantastic day. Bracket preview show, full slate of games, college basketball front and center. So excited. First weekend without NFL, really, with the season ending last week. Can't wait to talk to you about it. 
I can't wait until we finally get the bracket unveiled, but we're getting closer and closer to it. And how much do you take a look at some of these teams that are on the bubble and perhaps use that as a little bit of a betting opportunity because there is a lot of buzz around these teams that you're always hearing when it comes to like late February, early March. It's like, oh, this is a must win for the resume and everything like that. And typically when the public narrative is like that, typically I find a lot of value being able to fade these teams that are in must wins because I don't care what's sport you're in baseball basketball football you go down the list i have a theory of if you're in a must win well that means you must not be very good yeah that's the thing it's contender pretender season for me right now that's been my theme this entire week the teams that are supposed to take care of business are doing so a la tennessee just taking care of vanderbilt (laughs) yeah uconn is just brilliant it's so hard greg because i think back to the the florida team that repeated with Corey Brewer, Joachim Noah, Al Horford. I have yet to see a team that I really thought had a chance. This team has a legitimate chance. So you're right. The teams that are in must wins right now means there's questions about them. And I prefer to look at the teams for the possible futures bet that I know right now are going to be in the mix. And you're darn right. UConn is one of them. Yeah, I mean, that was very impressive what we saw from them against Marquette over the weekend. And I do think that it's fair to have a few question marks with Marquette because the one big thing with Marquette that I've had on them last few seasons is that this is a team that is not going to be winning a lot of battles down low other than Oguadero. You really don't have a ton with regards to the post, but my goodness, if you look at UConn in terms of shock quality numbers, in terms of Kempa metrics, what have you, in that game against Marquette, it was just a thorough butt kick again. This is a UConn team I think should be right there in terms of title contenders, in my opinion, along with, I would say, Houston should certainly be in that mix. And then I think that we'd be very foolish to not put in there Purdue as well. Yeah, Purdue has really shown me something because, of course, you have this lingering narrative of a team like Virginia who goes out in the first round and then won the title. Purdue, those guards have grown up. They're now sophomores. Zach Eady does not foul. And the same with Houston, too. Gosh, see, people are going to say, well, Houston wins a lot of their games at home, you know, on the road. Guys, you can't prepare for the type of defense that Houston brings. They are so good, Greg, at the little things. Kelvin Sampson, when they miss a shot inside, they reposition. Those little details are so hard to prepare for. So for the first time in a real long time, your top teams, Houston, Connecticut, Purdue, are really head and shoulders to me above everyone else. I know Arizona today got the fourth number one seed, but that's a tenuous hold for me there. Yep, absolutely. And with Arizona, it has been one of those teams I've had to gauge very differently at home rather than on the road because if Arizona could play every one of their games in Tucson, yeah, they're one of the best teams in all of college basketball. They are absolutely prolific, but we've seen them on the road lose to Oregon State. We've seen them on the road lose to Stanford. A little bit of an outlier shooting performance there from Stanford, but still, you should not be allowing that to happen to you. And how much this time of year do you look at some of these teams that it feels like they're really just racking up a lot of their stats at home and then on the road giving you a little bit of a clunker of a performance? Yeah, it bothers me. And those are upset alert teams we saw last year, Arizona with Princeton. That's why a team like Iowa State, who I can't believe got a three seed today, so undervalued. They they have won at Texas. They won at TCU. They have played well away from home here at Cincinnati as well. Those are about as impressive wins besides the big couple teams there that you're going to see, yet it really wasn't valued. So I really want to value teams 
that maybe have stumbled at home or maybe in the non-conference, but get wins on the road. It's going to matter. There's a difference here, and that's what you're seeing. I want to see these teams away from home. If they can get a couple key wins, it's really going to make me back them in March even more. Absolutely. As Mike Randall, who does tremendous work over at FTN Network, is joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops. And I do want to bring up this team as well because it's been clunky for them recently. We did see Kansas over the weekend get the job done against Oklahoma. I stupidly had a right of pick of thinking that Kansas was going to lose back-to-back games. Shame on me for that. I should have just taken the under end. That's really the big thing with this Kansas team because I do take a look at Kansas and I actually really like what I'm seeing from this team defensively, but the offense, even in that win, against Oklahoma. They only scored 67 points. What do you make out of this Jayhawks team? Another one of those teams that they do seem to play quite a bit different when they're at the fog rather than when they are on the road. Yeah, they're on upset for, uh, alert for me, Greg, when we get into the tournament here. I think they're a notch below. Hunter Dickinson can go in and out of, out of games. I know he has really high ceiling, but he also can have a low floor. They rely a lot on McCullough. They don't have a deep bench. Now, that's been fine in the past when you had Kansas teams that have been elite and had players like Jalen Wilson, that sort of player. Kevin McCullough has to really become that level player. Bill Self's best coach in college basketball for my money, but I think they're a notch below. They're a little bit on upset alert here, and you've seen them be vulnerable. Lost away at UCF, lost to West Virginia, lost Iowa State, lost Kansas State. Those are bad losses here. Even Texas Tech, I know they didn't have McCullough for that one. I'm concerned about Kansas. I'm not saying they're going to go out early, but I highly doubt that I will find a path, regardless of the bracket, for the Jayhawks to make a Final Four this year. Yeah, I think that that would be a big ass for them. And once again, when it comes to predicting matchups, it's all about what team you get paired up against. You go up against a team like from the MEAC or something like that, yeah, they should be able to get by there. But you get one of those big bomber, big majors that perhaps they have to play in the round of 32 you just never know what is going to happen there. And I do think that that is so key when it comes to taking a look at futures right now, because as we know, there were a lot of people that they were locked in on football and now we're about a week past the Super Bowl. And what would you recommend to people that are starting to take a look at the futures market? Because I do think that right now it's a very tricky time to be able to dive in because I am a big believer in the old saying of matchups make fights. And I do feel like with the value that you get from betting futures right now, you honestly get a little bit more knowing the path a team needs to go through. Because the one thing that is so difficult about college basketball futures, unlike any other sport, is that you just have absolutely no idea who a team is going to play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's true. You know, shameless plug here over there. FTN, our models, we have conference futures as well for conference tournaments. So my suggestion would be look for value first in the conference tournaments. I think that's a huge advantage that people don't take a look at because they just start thinking the NCAA tournament and making a final four. I would go there. That would be my look because I think you and I know there are teams that we can identify that are in the middle seeds of these conference tournaments that can get hot. And again, the futures, of course, you're trying to get to the final four. You're trying to win the national title. That's really difficult. You're going to have to win four games to get to the final four and six to win the title. But you're looking at a conference tournament. You can see teams here that can get hot back-to-back games right away. You can make yourself some nice bankroll with some underdogs. Remember the Georgetown with the year of Patrick Ewing in the Big East? I mean, anything is possible. So I would say look at those conference tournaments, especially the small ones here, where we know that the teams at the top are very, very shaky. That's where you can get some good value. Oh, absolutely. And it goes back to my point as well. In conference tournaments, you 
might not know the set matchups, but it's not like you'd have, for instance, we were talking about Arizona a few minutes ago. Arizona's not going to have to play Duke in the conference tournament or anything like that. They're going to play one of the Oregon schools. They're going to be playing a team like Arizona State. You relatively know who they're going to be playing up against, and that's always my trepidation with the NCAA tournament. You just have no idea what matchups you're going to get. The right matchups, it bodes very well for your futures. The wrong matchups, well, it could be a little bit difficult there. As Mike Randall, who does such tremendous work over at FDN Network, is joining me right here on Cusco Soups. And we're doing this ahead of the games that are going to be going on for Monday. And you know as well as I do, the Monday slate, it's a little bit fair. But I do think that we have a very interesting game that is going to be going on because out there in the ACC, for the correct reasons, Duke and North Carolina being talked about a lot. They're the top two teams in the conference. I don't think that there's much question about that. But I'm very intrigued by this Virginia versus Virginia Tech game. We currently have no numbers as we're doing this, but how do you gauge this Virginia team who does sort of come back to the theory that I was talking about before? Another one of those teams has been very good at home, but on the road, sans those wins that we've seen recently against Clemson and Florida State, they've been a little bit shaky, but perhaps those two wins might be exactly what they need to turn the corner as well. Yeah, this ties into the last thing we just talked about, Greg, because I do think, listen, great experts like yourself, you can get caught up in the conference tournaments very quickly, and your analysis of Virginia in this situation is spot on. Virginia, to me, has struggled. They they put a lot of faith, Virginia, in the development of Reese Beekman and Ryan Dunn. Superior defensive players, no doubt about it. But I saw Ryan Dunn again today, and he was great with the blocks. I get that, but they did not cover against Wake Forest. Ryan Dunn airballed a free throw. Virginia is really struggling on offense here. Rivalry game. They beat Virginia Tech at home. I will be on Virginia Tech in this game. I do not trust Virginia to cover here on the road. I know it looks like Virginia Tech for Kempom is going to be favored, but that's the analysis. People know Virginia. They know they're very good, but they are an upset alert. We saw it last year with Furman, and I think it's even bigger this year because they really struggle to score late. I mean, they're looking for McNeely to shoot a three. If they don't get that, they're tough down the stretch. And most importantly, Greg, this is what people can learn as they get to the conference tournaments. Boy, Virginia can't make free throws, huh? One of 11 from the free throw line against Wake Forest. That is a tough matchup for them. I don't like it. Goodness gracious. Greg Peters can shoot better at the free throw line than one out of 11 at the free throw line. Heck, I mean, the two of us, we can have a free throw shooting competition. And if we take 11 free throws between the two of us, I'm sure we could get at least two through the bucket. So that's not great to say the least. And Mike, I do think that you bring up something very interesting as well. We're looking ahead. And like I said, as of right now, we don't have a line on this game, but you're thinking that Virginia Tech probably going to be in that pick'em spot, might be a one or two point favorite, might be a very, very thin underdog. But how much have you been taking a look at that angle this year that has been tried and true for many people the unranked team at home being a very small favorite going up against the road ranked team who they are a little bit of an underdog because we've been noticing that these home unranked teams have been coming through on this line so much this season and really the last few years that has been a really good angle for a lot of people yeah basically when i start my handicapping i'm going to start with the home unranked team. So I'm trying to build an argument, looking at the numbers and saying, do I think that the road team has enough here to cover in this spot? That's my default. And there are sometimes when you get there, this is not going to be one of them, but that is exactly the situation because there is so much parity, name, image, and likeness, older players, COVID year, however you want to attribute it, you're looking for teams Can they really sustain and win on the road and cover? That is so rare, especially when you have that magic five, five and a half number. I mean, in that situation, Greg, the the, the ranked team can win, but doesn't necessarily have to cover. So sure, one, two points exactly. But I will tell you in my handicapping, 
I default to the home team, and I need to make a case that the visiting team can actually cover even though they're ranked. Absolutely, and I do always encourage people with this as well, and I'm not sure if you co-sign on this or how you play it, but when it comes to a lot of trends like the unranked home team against the road team that is ranked and the home team being a very slight favorite, it's something that you absolutely don't want to ignore. I'm also not going to be someone that is going to blindly bet that as well because we do see plenty of instances where you do see that ranked team go on the road, get the job done up until really this past season Florida was always one of those teams that they found themselves a lot as an unranked team that'd be like a one to two point favorite against a ranked team and they did not come through time and time again so that was always one where it's like yeah I don't think that holds true for a lot of teams but I think that you're doing yourself a massive disservice if you're not looking at these trends and at the same time I do think that you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice as well if you're doing absolutely nothing but betting trends and not doing the actual research in terms of that set matchup. No, the trends are the sprinkle on the Sunday. You can't just blindly bet them, but you have to be aware and know about them. So, for example, the other night, Minnesota, we all know, one of the best, the best right now cover team in all of college basketball, 21-3. and That doesn't mean, Greg, because they're at Purdue, we're blindly betting them, but you look at the matchup, you look at where the weaknesses are, where the strengths, can they hang? That is the key. So that is the question is, can a team find a way to win on the road? Minnesota has been very good. They're six and one here against the spread on the road, but there've been some other teams that are very under the radar. Pittsburgh, six, one and one on the road. So no, you don't blindly bet the trend, but you need to be aware of it because if you go through your handicapping and you say, you know what? I really like in this spot, TCU to bounce back. They have an advantage in the transition. And oh, by the way, they're playing West Virginia early this week in West Virginia's 0-6 on the road against the spread. It's the last thing I include. I just don't blindly bet the trend. Absolutely. And I think that that bodes very well for this. And I think that that's the best way of being able to take a look at it. You don't want to be completely blind and not paying attention at all to the trends. And at the same time, if you're making trends, the end all be all, you've went too far with them as well. And Mike, with regards to what we're going to be seeing the next few days as we're doing this out of Monday's games, as we know with Monday, it's a little bit of a short slate. Is there anything that you are going to be taking a look at for Monday and even into Tuesday as well? Because as we know, with Tuesday, it's a relatively moderate slate of basketball. You get a lot of power teams that are going to be in action on those Tuesdays. Is there any team or any game in particular that you do have a little bit of a star around and you want to either find out a little bit more about that team or perhaps you're targeting a better two to be able to back or fade someone? I believe in Iowa State. I believe in Osselberger, Wizard of Oz. He is the man. I think they are going to cover at Houston. I know Houston at home is very powerful. Houston's going to want payback here because Iowa State ended up beating them 57-53. That number for Ken Palm is going to be nine. Could it even get to double digits? I think that's a mistake. I'm certainly going there. And then we look on Tuesday as well. I don't like Creighton this year, Greg. I know their metrics are strong, but teams like Creighton, Alabama, Chattanooga that rely heavily on the three-pointer, there's just too much variance for me, and I'm targeting to fade them in neutral spots. Now, Creighton is home here against UConn. The metrics are going to keep this number low. I'm going to look to hit UConn depending on what the line is there because I just think Creighton relies too much on the three-pointer and you can beat them off the dribble. I really believe that. So those are some of the ones I'm looking at. And then you have a classic game, which I may actually be able to attend, Greg, VCU at UMass. This A-10 is completely wide open. I know Dayton is the class of the A-10. I get it. But you saw today they did not get a top 
four seed in any of the reasons in the bracket preview because the A-10 is so weak. It is wide open here. This is one I think there are some live futures, and one of those teams is UMass. They have to find their shot, but they played well at Dayton. It's Dayton, Richmond. I don't believe in Loyola Chicago. VCU, again, very up and down. So that's a game I'm looking at here because I believe with Frank Martin. I believe with the defense. I believe with the development here. Matt Cross is so important, one of the most important players at college basketball. Matt Cross is to UMass. That is an A-10 conference tournament that I think is going to be very live for a lower-seeded team with a big number to maybe steal a bit. Yes, I do think that they could perhaps be a little bit of a bid thief. We've got some interesting Atlantic 10 action that's going to be going down the next few days, and it's going to be interesting to see if one or two of those Atlantic 10 teams get a send along with Dayton to be able to put themselves in the at-large conversation. And for the Iowa State team, man, they just continue to do a tenacious job on defense and a man that is tenacious in the way that he is able to hit so many different markets and give out such great insights. That'd be you, Mike. You do an absolutely amazing job over at FTN Network. Your podcast screen, the screener, is second to none as well. So love the good people at home. No, it's all on tap for you. And how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, join us, guys. We have a, quite a family building at FTN Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. We cover as many college basketball games as we can. We don't get to Greg's level, but we cover as many as we can here on our YouTube channel at FTN, which is growing. People come in. Sure, you can tell, but you want to come in, debate, talk back and forth with your picks. We have conference futures, Frank Brank's models, Mike Kutry, all the great stuff we have going on. Josh Gross of Women's College Basketball is the king as well. So come join us at FTN. We have some great stuff going on, ready for March Madness, just like Greg is, of course. Great things going on. It's the most exciting time it is a great time of year and it is always great to get this man aboard because he is fired up for what we're going to be getting in march but he's been following this thing all 12 months out of the year and every single time he joins this podcast lends tremendous insights mike is absolutely tremendous so big thanks to him for joining me right here on coast guess coming up next it is that time in the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball monday as we hit some bank shots Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. 
Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating 
Again, a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Lovely Las Vegas, the Coast Coast with myself, Craig Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Mike Randall. He does such good work taking a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins the show, he lends such good insights and did so once again today. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at Judah underscore D1, and we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. We've got four power conference games. The Coastal Conference game is one of them, and then you've got the two Big 12 games, the ACC game, everything else. That is going to be in time order at the bottom as those are a part of the extra games port. You get a lot of Miak, Swag, Southland on this day, and those are going to be the games at the bottom. So let's get things started with 881-882 on the card. It is Iowa State on the road facing off against Houston. Houston is between an 8.5 to a 9.5 point favor. Your total on this game is between 128 and 129. This was a number a little bit earlier, more around a 9.5. We're seeing it drop a little bit, and I would say take this now before it drops any further. I am willing to take the points with Iowa State. I did set them as an 8-point underdog, so anything north of 8 is a buy point for me. Last time these two teams played, there was a grand total of 110 points in this game, as 
Iowa State, they won that game 57-53, and you've got two of the top three teams in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis going at it. Iowa State has been absolutely stifling with the way that they generate turnovers, but they do go up against a Houston team that is one of the best in all of college basketball in the way that they don't turn the ball over. That's thanks to Jamal Shedd. Shedd is able to give you about six assists per contest, shoots about 34% from three-par range while generating himself about two and a half steals per game, and while Iowa State does have the advantage when it comes to being able to generate turnovers, it is clearly a Houston team that is going to have the leg up on the glass. Shawan Roberts going to be the best rebounder in this game, 9.7 boards per contest. Javier Francois has been able to give you about 5.5 rebounds, block and a half per contest as well, and LJ Cryer, he shoots it at a 38.5% clip from 3 par range, and while Iowa State, I don't think matches the firepower that Houston has from the outside, you still do have Milan Mimosilovic, who's been able to shoot it well at about 38.5% from 3 par range, 12 points per contest, and for Iowa State. Even though you don't have that one primary rebounder, this Houston team, they've got the size advantage. You have had this Iowa State team do a relatively solid job by collective of being able to just pull in some rebounds. Now they're getting Hassan Ward back to the fold as well after he was out due to injury, so that means that out of their top seven scores, five of them are able to give you at least four rebounds per contest. Tamon Lipsby, Sean Gilbert in the backcourt have been pretty solid with the combined 27.5 points. Both give you about five boards. Lipsby, five and a half assists and three steals per contest, while Iowa State, they're not quite as good at taking care of the ball as Houston. They're still solid. They only turn the ball over about 10.7 times per contest. This Iowa State team has also been able to crank things up a little bit more offensively, at least 68 points in each other the last five games. For Houston, if you look at regulation and regulation only because their game against Texas went to overtime a few weeks ago, they've given up 65 points or fewer in four out of their last five. I just think that this is going to be another low-scoring slog. Last time around, neither team got to 60, and I do think that both teams are going to approach 60, but I do think that this is still a little bit too lofty of a total. I did set my total more around a 126, so I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under Houston while inside the top 320 in terms of total possessions per game, but with the way that Iowa State generated turnovers the first time around, they were able to generate 16. Not sure if they do quite that this time around, but I do feel like it's a little bit of a tough matchup for Houston. I think we went too far. Semi-line at 8, so take the points with Iowa State and the under. 883-884 on the card. Virginia. It's a red face-off against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a favorite of 2.5 to 3 points. So on this game is 126.5. Did sub I told at 126. Here at a 126.5, it is my buy point on the under. we got a Virginia team that has been different when they've been away from home rather than when they've been at home with regards to their defense. And you do need to have a buyer beware there. As for Virginia Tech, by the way, they actually average right around 18 points more per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment in terms of offense, but defensively. When it comes to Virginia, this team is a top 10 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. That said, they're giving up north of 20 points more per one hour possessions when they do at the road rather than at home. And Virginia Tech, they are going to have a little bit of an advantage down low because you've got Lynn Kidd who's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game for Virginia. Only one guy in the roster really gives you north of 3.7 rebounds per game. That'd be Ryan Dunner is getting there done right around nine and a half points, seven boards. He does ship in there more than a seal and a half per contest. And that's really been what has allowed this Virginia team to be so stifling with regards to their defense. For Virginia, they are in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, a top-20 team, and though Virginia Tech as a whole, they only turn the ball over about 11 times for contest, you do have Sean Padula, who is, has been getting quite loose with it. Sean Padula, he has turned the ball over about 3.7 times for contest, does give you about 15.5 points, 4.5 assists per game, and I do think that he's going to be matched by Reese Beekman, who's able to give you 14 points, 6 assists, for a team that they're not amazing with their 3-point shooting away from home. Virginia, the 
shoots nearly 39 to 40% from three-point range at home. That does fall below 35% away from home, but you know that Virginia is going to protect the ball with just 8.2 turnovers per game, even with their slow style. That's still one of the most efficient marks in all of college basketball for Virginia Tech. You do like what you're able to get out of Hunter Couture. He's been able to give you 14 points. She's 42.5% from three-point range. And Tyler Nickel, even though he's not like some super prolific scorer or anything like that, he's been able to do a solid job shooting in that neighborhood about 42-43% from three-point range. And without question, this is a Virginia Tech team that is shooting it much better from distance at home rather than on the road for Virginia Tech. When they do at the road, they shoot only about 34.5% from three-point range, closer to 37.8% from three-point range when they're at home. And even with Virginia having those home and road splits that are a little bit rough, they've won each of the last two games on the road. I do think that they're starting to put it together. And I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a low-scoring slog of a game with a Virginia team that overall is 49th with regards to their opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So I did sell my total out of 126 here at the 126 half, diving in on the under of Virginia. Made them a two-point underdog. Won't take three. Not going to go with the money line, but going to go with the three here with the Cavs. 885-886 on the card. Charleston plays us to William & Mary. You don't just get William, you don't just get Mary, but you get both, and you get 17 and a half points with them against Charleston. Total on this game is anywhere between 151 and 151 half. Did semi total 153. I'm looking at the over. You've got William and Mary currently 361st out of 362 Division One teams. In terms of points a lot out of per possession basis, needless to say, it's not necessarily too terrific. And you've got a Charleston team that has really been cranking up their tempo early on during the season. It wasn't a bunch that was necessarily just absolutely running it and gunning it. It felt like they were trying to find their identity now. When you have a Powell Kelsey team, you know that they're always going to be playing a little bit faster, but it has been really coming as the season has been going along. The just tempo and the speed of this team as they're about 101st in the country with regards to total possessions per game. And with Charleston, they do play at a rate of about two and a half possessions more per game when they are at home rather than when they are at home. They do go up against the William & Mary team that as well. They're looking to really slow things out. William & Mary, a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions per game. But William & Mary going to give you a lot of good looks from three-point range when they're away from home. They allow opponents to shoot 36.6% from three-point range in a roadside search court venue. But they also go up against a Charleston team that's right around 200th in the country with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis and 218th with regards to opponents three-point shooting percentage as well. You've got a Charleston team that doesn't necessarily do the same amount of turnover generation as they did last season as well. It has been a Charleston team that, to their credit, they've retained the ball much better this year. They've turned the ball over less than 11 times per contest. Antti Bedozovic, along with Ben Burnham, may be able to combine for about 25 points per contest. Rain Smith, he's been able to rein it in. He's shooting from three-point range in the high 30s, but Cape Dorsey, I do think he's going to be able to keep William and Mary lively in this game. Bay will give you about 13 half points per game, along with Trey Moss as well. Both of these guys, 13 half points per contest. Dorsey, the better three-point shooter at 37.5%. And then you've got some nice versatility with Charlie Williams being able to give you about two and a half assists, seven and a half points per contest. I like what you've been able to get in terms of these seven boards and 12 and a half points per game out of Chase Lowe as well. And this is a Charleston bunch that last season they were a really good team in terms of generating second and third chances on the glass, and they're still relatively okay on the glass, 56th in the country with a their rebound rate, but I do think that William & Mary, even though they're going to lose that battle down low, they're going to be able to hold in there. They've actually got a positive rebound rate on the road. You've been able to get about six boards per contest out of Caleb Dorsey as well. I do think that that does keep William & Mary lively in this game. I do think that for William & Mary, an offense that has been scuffling recently. They have scored fewer than 65 points so far in their last five games. They're going to get it going after the last time they played against Charleston. That was an 84-83 to nip-and-tuck game at Charleston. They're just giving up the points right now, 70-plus in far of their last 
last five games, while they themselves have gotten to at least 74 in every one of them. So I do think that things get cranked up tempo. Semi-total, 153. Looking at the over. And here at north of 15, going to be willing to take the points with William & Mary. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas spending board before we hit the extra games. 887-888 Texas. They are back to hosting Kansas State. Kansas State is an underdog of 8 to 8 and a half points. Total on this game, going to be getting it anywhere between 140.5 and 141.5 and with Texas. I did set them as an 8 and a half point favorite. This was an opener of 9. Now that we're getting down to 8, it's my back spy point that I'm willing to lay with Texas, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. With Kansas State, they've been able to do a nice job of being able to flip their identity from a season ago. A season ago, it was a whole bunch of explosive guard play, and they were able to really light it up on offense. Well, this season, they are well outside the top 150 with the guards' points scored on a per-possession basis, relying upon Cam Carter and Ty Perry to really get things going in the backcourt. These two guys combined for about three steals, seven and a half assists, both give you about 15 points per game, but it's a Kansas State team that they only shoot about 30 and a half percent from three points, and they go up against a Texas unit that they have been a team that has been much better at home rather than on the road. You're noticing this with a lot of these Big 12 teams, but in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, this Texas team overall for the season is 63rd, but they are allowing about 20.2 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're at home. Meanwhile, you've got a Kansas State team that is going to be able to do, in my opinion, a relatively solid job on the glass. David Agustin has been able to give you about five to six rebounds per game. You've got Arthur Kaluma, who's been a sad sheet sufferer, two assists, shoots 36% from three, which is really the best mark on the team. With his 14 half points, seven boards, while Will McNair is also able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. But for Texas, what I think is so key is the fact that you've had Dylan Mitchell really be able to step up down low with about eight and a half boards, has been a little bit inconsistent with his offensive plan, was limited to 18 minutes in the last game against Houston. He was suffering from, I believe, a little bit of ailment. You do want to check in there. I think he should be good to go. And even if he's not, Dylan DeSue, he has been pretty tremendous for this Texas team as well. Ever since he has come back, he's been shooting 55.5% from three. That'll see a fall off, but 17 points, five boards per contest, and then in the backcourt, Max Aspis along with Therese Hunter, they've done a nice job as a one-two punch, giving you about 8.8 assists to about five and a half turnovers per game. Aspis, your main three-point shooter at about 38.5% from distance. Hunter does a little bit of a better job on the defensive side of things, and for Texas, they have been a squad that's been okay at generating turnovers. Not great, not terrible, but with Kansas State's inability to take care of the ball, they're outside the top 310 in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. That is going to allow Texas to be able to separate, get it done, and I do think that the totals went a little bit too high. Kansas State has been pretty rough with their offense, but they've been a top 50 team with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. So, this is a line that I did set an 8.5 and an 8. That is a maximum delay with Texas, but willing delay with Texas, and here at a 141, 141.5, looking at the under semi total at 140.5. Now we get to the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-633, Lafayette is playing us Colgate. Colgate is a 7 to a 7.5 point favorite. Your total on this game is 132, and with Colgate, I did make them an 8 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Colgate has really been able to do a nice job with regards to their defense. In terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, they are 33rd in all of college basketball. Now, they are giving up nearly 14 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home, but this Lafayette bunch did not have a single win against a Division One opponent in the non-conference portion of the season, and for Lafayette, even though they are 108th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, they actually allow more points per possession at home rather than in a roadside shoot court venue. We've got also a Lafayette team that does not have a single player that gives you a double-figure amount of points. Devin Hines is right now your top scorer. He's been able to supply the team with about 9.7 points per contest. Colgate also does a nice job of really being able to negate any sort of outside shooting. Colgate 24th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And for Lafayette, even though you do have Justin Vanderbond, a 7-footer that comes in from Boston College, he's able to give you about 9 points, 
five rebounds per contest. This has been a squad that has been really scuffling on the glass end. They're pretty average in terms of their three-point shooting defense. Long opponents shoot about 34.2% from three-point. Meanwhile, you've been able to have Braden Smith, no relation to Purdue's Braden Smith, really be able to manhandle things for Colgate. 13 points, five boards, five assists, shoots in the 30s from three-point for a Colgate team that they're back in the top 50 with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. They were a little bit scuffling to begin the season, but now they've been able to pick it up with this Colgate team. You are able to get them a little bit down low. They're about 100 second in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate, but not like Lafayette does a great job there. They're only about 297th in all of college basketball, so Keegan Records being able to give you about six half boards and an half points per contest. Ryan Moffitt being someone that can shoot 38.5% from three-point range. I think that this is a bad matchup for a Lafayette team that has really been able to put it together here in conference play, but for Lafayette, I do think that they're going to meet their match. Last time they played, Lafayette went on the road, won that game 69-64 to on a day where Colgate shot just 5 of 17 from three-point range, and I do think that Colgate going to be able to get their revenge here. I did set Colgate as a favorite of eight points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, and did set my total 134. This Colgate team has been pretty stupendous with regards to their defense, but for Colgate, they've gotten past the 74-point plateau as well in four out of their last five games, and they're going up against the Lafayette team that has been scuffling a little bit more with their defense, giving up 79-plus into out of their last three games. So look it over and look at a lay here with Colgate. 306, 635, 36636. Southeast Louisiana is going to be playing also Lamar. Lamar is an underdog of a point and a half to two points. Toronto's game is 144 and a half and it's at Southeast Louisiana as a two point favorite. This open up at a pick'em here at the one half. It's a max I'm going to be one to lay, but I'm going to be one to lay. Southeast Louisiana has an innate ability to be able to really slow things down. They are well outside the top 275 with regards to their total possessions per game. Going up against a bunch of Lamar that they are looking to push tempo. Lamar is a top 100 team with regards to total possessions per game and Lamar has some very good balance scoring on this team as you've got Scary Terry Anderson, who's been leading the way with about 12.5 points per contest, but out of your top four scores, every one of them, Anderson, you're able to throw in there, Alex Hamilton, B.B. Knight, and Chris Pryor. They all give you between 10.9 and 11.3 points per contest. Pryor and Knight combined for about 23 points and both shoot about 40% from three-point range and for Lamar. Overall, they shoot 37% from distance going up against the Southeast Louisiana team that they have had a little bit of an issue guarding the arc. 256th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, this Lamar team, they're going to need to try to win it from the perimeter because Lamar, they do allow opponents to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range, just 30% at home. This does drop off to about 37.7% in a roadside shoot court venue. And for this Southeast Louisiana team, you've got a lot of versatility. Nick Caldwell, someone that's able to give you about 12 points, 5 boards, shoots it well from 3 points. Roscoe Eastmont is going to be the best facilitator in this game. He's been able to do a lot about 6 assists per contest. And for Southeast Louisiana, they're about 183rd in the country with regards to rebound rate. Doesn't sound spectacular, but it's pretty much on par with Lamar. Lamar is about 163rd, but a much better rebound team. One at home rather than on the road. And Broden Robury, he's been able to give this Southeast Louisiana team right around about six boards per contest down low. He's been able to do a solid job there, and when it comes to the Southeast Louisiana team, they're not shooting about 35% from three-point. The turnovers have been a little bit unsightly, but both of these teams do generate the same amount of turnovers on a per-possession basis, and for Lamar, they have given up at least 71 points in how far their last five games. Meanwhile, for Southeast Louisiana, even though they've been playing slowly, 76-plus points scored in far of their last five games, they've really been able to get it going, so it is a interesting circumstance here. I did set my total on 140. I do think that Southeast East Louisiana going to be able to slow things down a little bit more here. Last time these two teams played, it was a 74 to 64 slog where Southeast Louisiana shot 8 of 27 from 3. Lamar went 10 of 22 from distance, and though Lamar probably going to shoot a little bit better from 3 point range, Southeast Louisiana, I do think that they do a good job from within. I do think that they force Lamar, who's averaging about 12 and a half turnovers per game, into some turnovers. So, 
did set Southeast Louisiana as a favorite two points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number and also made my total of 140. Going to be looking at the under as well. 306-637, 306 You've got Delaware State playing goes to Morgan State. And Morgan State is a underdog of 5.5 to 6.5 points. Turn on this game. It is 144. I set my line at 6. So we're between 5.5 and 6.5. A lot of places are going to 6.5. And personally, I would rather have the 6.5 with Morgan State. I'm going to be looking to take the points with Morgan State. Has been a banged up bunch all season long. That has been dreadful with their defense. They are well outside the top 320 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, while Delaware State, to the surprise of many, they are inside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, a top 125 team in terms of rebound rate with having Martez Robinson along with Wesley Oba be able to combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game with Robinson along with Jevin Munoz. They've been your primary two scorers for Delaware State, supplying 30.5 points per contest on about 36% three-point shooting between the two of them, and they both combine for about 3.5 steals, 5.5 assists per contest, so They've been nice at she suffers, but Delaware State also turns the ball over 15 times for contest. They're a bottom 80 team in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, and for Morgan State, it's been all about health. They now get Winston Tabs back in the fold. He played a limited 16 minutes in the team's most recent game against Maryland Eastern Shore, but had 14 points in those 16 minutes. Looked very good. Overall, is shooting 37.5% from three-pointers with 16 points per game this season. That's just absolutely massive because they've been without Miles Thompson for the longest of times. The transfer from St. Francis, Pennsylvania has been out for darn near the entirety of the season, but still have Cameron Hobbs, who's able to shoot about 37.5% from the outside, 10 points per contest. Will Thomas has been a nice gadget do-it-all sort of player, 4.5 boards, 12.5 points per game, and for Delaware State, this bunch is going to be able to control things down low, but they do give it up from beyond the arc. At home, they allow opponents to shoot 38.3% from 3 parring, a bottom 50 mark in all of college basketball. Morgan State, they're certainly going to be allowing their wide-open looks as well. Morgan State, they are, in terms of opponents' 3-point shooting percentage, 272nd in all of college basketball, so I do think that you're going to be able to get some solid points up on the board. I did set my total as well at a 144. We saw an opener of 143.5, still seeing one or two straight 143.5. I'm going to be looking at the over in the spot. Morgan State, not quite as up-tempo as they have been in past years, but still a team that plays at a pretty brisk pace, and with regards to Delaware State, made them a six-point favorite, so here at 6.5, looking at the points with Morgan State to go along with a 143.5 or less over. 306, 639, 306, 640. Howard is going to be playing us to South Carolina State. South Carolina State is 6 to a 6.5 point underdog. Your total on this game, 150 to 150.5. South Carolina State, I did make them an underdog of 6.5 points. So here at the 6, I'm going to be willing to lay with Howard. Howard has had their deficiencies on defense, to say the least, but they've got the most star power in this game. Howard, in terms of opponent's three point shooting percentage, that goes down to 31% at home. It's more like 35.5% in a road slash church core venue, but they get to go up against a South Carolina State team that is in the top 130 with regards to rebound rate, and they've been better with regards to their defense. South Carolina State has crept into the top 175 towards points allowed on a per-possession basis. The issue is, Mitchell Taylor with his 9 points per game is right now leading the way for the sponge. They should be able to win that rebound battle down low because you have been able to get right around about 6.5 rebounds per game out of Davion Everett, but you just haven't necessarily been able to find that floor general. You haven't found anything in the backcourt with the team turning the ball over about 15 times for contact. Contest and for Howard, you've got yourself a very nice score. And Bryce Harris, who's been able to give you about 16.5 points, seven boards, shoots 43.5% from three points. Seth Towns, he was dealing with a little bit of ailment, but he's been able to come back. He's been able to give the team right around about 15 points, shoots 37% from three points as well. Howard needs to clean up their turnovers as well, about 15.3 turnovers per contest. But I do think that Howard going to be able to get things cranked up tempo a little bit more in this spot. And it's a Howard team that they're looking to play games that are in the high 70s, low 80s as their total possessions per game. 
about 82nd in all of college basketball. And strangely, South Carolina State, they are a team that they're looking to play even faster. They're about 63rd in the country with this regard, with South Carolina State being quite careless with the ball, just not having guys that are able to pop it from three-par range, and nobody is able to take over the game. Meanwhile, for Howard, you've been able to get about 14 points per contest out of Marcus Stockery. You've got a Howard team that, in general, has been able to do a solid job, but be able to lock down with regards to their defense at home. Away from home, it's a little bit of a different scenario, but 71 points of fierce surrender in three of their last four games, going up against the South Carolina State team that, to their credit, they've been able to get to at least 70 points in three of their last four games. I do think that you're in for a relatively high-scoring affair, one that could involve some late-game felling, but in the end, Howard being able to separate. I did set Howard as a six-half-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay up to six with them, and also made my total 154 and a half, so going to be looking at the over to go along with Howard. 386-641, 386-642. Texas A&M Commerce hits the road face-off against Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word is a two to a two-and-a-half point favorite. Your total on this game between 141 and 142. I set the word as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Texas A&M Commerce just completely outgunned down low. They're outside the top 340 in terms of their rebound rate. Now, Texas A&M Commerce has been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to generate turnovers, but even with them doing that, they are still quite vulnerable from the outside. 236th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Now, credit where credit is due to Commerce. In a roadside search court venue, they allow opponents to shoot only about 33.2% from three. That balloons up to about 36.3% when they are at home, which I find to be very strange, but they do go up against the current word team that has Sky Wicks, who's been able to do a solid job being able to supply this team with about 15.6 boards per contest, and you've also got someone in Joshua Morgan who's able to shoot about 38% from three-point range for Texas A&M Commerce. You just don't have those guys. They're able to go bombs away from three-point range. Jerome Brewer's been able to give about 13 to 14 points per contest, and he's been able to do a good job along Kalen Williams of being able to team up and be able to generate some turnovers. In terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis, this is a Commerce bunch that they are within the top 110 in all of college basketball. It does fall off a little bit when they are on the road, though, and for Encarta, where the 15 after turnovers per game, that is a little bit unsightly, but first time these two teams met, you had Commerce win by two possessions because they went 9 of 20 from 3 par inch, while Encarta Word shot below 30% from 3 par inch. I do think that we're going to see that flip a little bit here. Encarta Word also probably going to be allowing quite a few looks from 3 par inch themselves. Encarta Word 296 in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' 3 point shooting percentage, but that goes to 37% on the road, more like 33% when they are at home. And with Texas A&M Commerce really just not having a lot of size down low, and in this Encarta Word team getting Alex Anderson back to fold for double figures, I do think that Encarta Word going to be able to take control of this game. I did set them as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. Last time these two teams played, got about 136 points up on the board. I do think that there's going to be a lot of sloppy possessions in this one. Both of these teams have a little bit of a tough time taking care of the ball and just being able to make shots in general. So, going to be looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay up to three and a half with Encarta Word. 306-643, 306-644. It is Nichols on the road against New Orleans. New Orleans is a home underdog of a point. Total on this game is 149.5. So, Nichols is a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Now, the good news for New Orleans is after he missed the game a little bit earlier on last week, Jordan Johnson is back in the fold. That's your top score. 21.5 points, four assists on 37% three-point shooting thus far this season. But for Nichols, you've got the big two. You've got Jamal West along with Deontay Smith combining for 30 points, 14 rebounds, about five and a half assists per game. Now, for Nichols, this is a bunch that they leave quite a bit of something to be desired on defense. They are no longer a team that generates a bunch of turnovers or outside the top 175 in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, but Nichols has been pretty good at being able to guard the perimeter, especially away from home. Away from home, they're a top 125 team, an opponent's three-point shooting percentage at 32.7%, and for New Orleans, they're pretty ghastly in terms of, like, every single facet 
of defense. New Orleans, who are 99th of the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage outside the top three in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And other than Javon Vincent, who stands just six foot four, he's been able to give the team right around about five and a half to six rebounds per game. You don't really have anyone that's able to hit the glass for the team. As a matter of fact, for New Orleans, they're 331st in the country with regards to rebound rate. Not that the Snickles team has been really amazing on the glass at 311th, but they still do have a little bit of an advantage there. It's a New Orleans team that has cleaned up the turnovers a little bit. They only turned the ball over about 12 times for contest, so that's been helpful, but for this New Orleans bunch, they've just been getting absolutely pasted on defense, giving up 80-plus points in three of their last five games. Going up against a Nichols team that they've actually been looking to slow things down a little bit more. 67 points or fewer in each of their last three games. They have scored 73 or fewer in each of their last four contests, but they've done a better job on defense, giving up 75 or fewer in each of their last five games, but New Orleans, since they came onto the betting board in the 2018-19 season, they've actually been the best over team in all of college basketball. I do think that things get cranked up tempo a little bit more. I do think that there's a possibility they get some late game fouls in this game as well. So I did set my total at a 150. I'm going to be looking at the over. I do think that Nichols takes hold of this game, set them as a two-point favorite. So going to lay it with Nichols and the over. 3 of 6, 6, 45, 3 of 6, 6, 46. Texas A&M Corpus Christi plays Western Northwestern State. Northwestern State is an underdog of 10.5 points. Jalon's game is 139.5 with Northwestern State. I did set them as an underdog of 12.5 points. I'm going to be looking to lay it with Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi is actually your second best cover team in all of college basketball. They are covering well north of 70% of their games, and it's very simple as to why. Rebounding and turnovers. They're a top 75 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. They're a top 80 team with regards to rebound rate, and if you look at that, that results in them, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, being 61st in all of college basketball. They go up against the Northwestern State team that they've been able to upgrade a little bit with regards to just their overall play. Cliff Davis, he's been able to give you about 12.5 points, shooting about 40% from three point range, but Northwestern State still leaving a lot to be desired on defense. Honestly, the perimeter defense is in the top 175 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but even with that, 322nd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 16.6 points more per 100 possessions when they're in a roadside search court venue rather than at home. And for Northwestern State, this is a bottom 100 team with regards to rebound rate. They've got Dwayne Posey who comes in from the SWAC, give you 4.3 rebounds per game, and that's their leader in rebounds while they only shoot about 31.9% from three, and what makes it all the worst for this team is among their top eight scores, this involves a few players that are currently injured, by the way, the only guy that is shooting above 30% from three is the aforementioned Davis. So I do think that Corpus Christi going to do a nice job of being able to guard the perimeter. Last time Corpus Christi played against Northwestern State, they got the job done 79 to 68, even though Corpus Christi only shoots about 29.5% from three-point range. I do think that they'll have some success here. I don't think that they'll duplicate the 9 of 19 three-point shooting that they had last time around, but I do think that they'll duplicate the fact that they were able to win the battle on the glass last time around. You've got Dane Prim, who's really been able to give you some nice production at 17.6 boards last time around overall for the season has been able to supply the team with about 8.5.6 boards and it's currently shooting about 40% for three-point range for the former Northwestern State standout from a season ago. So this is a circumstance where did some line at 12.5. I'm going to be one to lay it. I think we're just too low with regards to this settle just with the way the Northwestern State has been giving up points even though Texas A&M Corpus Christi has been quite good to the under. Did some my total at a 140.5. Looking over and looking to lay it with Corpus Christi. 306.647. 306.648. Maryland Eastern Shore is going to be playing us to compensate. Compensate is an underdog of 6.5 points. 
Totals between 126 and 127 to set the shore as a six-point favorite. So here at 6.5, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Compensate. Compensate is in the bottom three nationally with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, but they get a big addition back in Justin Winston. Winston has been missing for a little bit of time this year. He's been a bit limited, but I mean, he's been really the main guy for Compensate. 13 points, 5.5 boards, a little bit over a seal per contest for a Compensate team that they shoot below 30% from three-point range. They've been turning the ball over about 15.5 times for contest, but Maryland needs to shore, whereas last year they were a top-20 team with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. They're not forcing those turnovers this season, and for this Maryland needs to shore team of their top five scores, none of them shoot above 33.6% from three-point range, and only one of them shoots above 30% from three. They've looked at Troy Hupseed down low, who's able to give you 13 points, nine boards, to be a little bit of a do-it-all sort of player, and despite the fact that they're going to have the best individual rebounder in this game, and Hupseed, Maryland needs to shore, still has been getting completely plastered on the glass. We're in 16th in the country with regards to their total rebound rate for Compensate. They've been able to do an okay job as a collective of being able to give you a few more rebounds, but they're still a bottom 10 team in the country with regards to their rebound rate as well. But what I like for this team is the fact that you've been able to have a few guys be able to step up in Greg Spurlock, coupled with Ryan Orkney, who have been able to both give you about nine points per contest. Neither of these guys really shoot it well from three other than Malik Battle has been in and out of the fold all season long. You really don't have that with this bunch, but for Compensate, they're going to do a relatively okay job in my opinion with regards to their perimeter defenses compensate team in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage they're clocking in about 160th in all of college basketball meanwhile you've got a Maryland Eastern Shore team that they do allow you to be able to knife the ball inside they don't allow you to be able to attempt too many threes at home they're allowing opponents to shoot just 28.4 percent from distance so I do think that this is going to be a bog down slog in which we're going to really not be seeing a lot of points in this one I did some I told out 125 as a result both of these teams have been ghastly in terms of offense both of these teams in the bottom 20 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis so I'm going to be looking to go under in this spot both Maryland East for sure going to make them a six point favorite as well going to be willing to take the north of six here with compensate along with the under 3-6-649 Alabama A&M is going to be playing us to Arkansas Pine Bluff Pine Bluff is an underdog of three to three and a half points 155 is your total Did by total 154 looking at the under Arkansas Pine Bluff still bottom 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of both three point shooting percentage and in terms of their three point shooting defense it has been relatively rough for them as well though I will say for Arkansas Pine Bluff when they've been away from home this bunch has actually been able to do a much better job of being able to guard the arc Arkansas Pine Bluff is allowing opponents in a roadside shoot court venue to shoot just 30.4% from three-point range so that does give you a little bit of encouragement and with Arkansas Pine Bluff as a result I did make them the favorite I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line they go up against an Alabama A&M team that's not going to be able to take advantage of the kryptonite of theirs and that Arkansas Pine Bluff is in the bottom 30 nationally with regards to the rebound rate they don't really have anyone other than Ishmael Platt that's able to hit the glass, but for Alabama A&M, they don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. They have been able to get Cam Tucker back in the fold. Tucker's done a nice job, give you four assists, double-figure amount of points, and Dalen Smith, he has been tremendous for the team. He's supplying the team with about 14 points per contest, but Lorenzo Dewani is giving you four rebounds per game. Right now, he is leading the way, and for Alabama A&M, they are 330th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and for Arkansas Pine Bluff, you've got a big three with this team as Joe French, along with Rashad Williams, throwing their Kylan Milton. All three of these guys have been able to combine for about 50 points per contest, and all three of them shoot at least 36.5% for three-point range. Pine Bluff is a top 75 team in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage. Now, for Pine Bluff, they do turn the ball over about 13.5 times per contest, and for Alabama A&M, they're a relatively nation- national average team with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. To do the credit of Alabama A&M, this is still a bottom 75 team with regards to their overall defense, but they've not 
without giving up fewer than 70 points each other last five games. And for Pine Bluff, it doesn't sound like much, but they've now given up 76 points or fewer in each other last four games. So they've been a little bit more respectable on that side of things. I feel like both of these teams are having a little bit more of a tempo shift. I do think, though, that for Arkansas Pine Bluff, they're going to take advantage of the fact that Alabama A&M just does not guard the arc to save their lives, and that allows Pine Bluff to be able to pull this one off. I did something I told 154, so you're out the 155 diving under. I mean, Pine Bluff, the two-point favorite, so... Looking at Pine Bluff on the money line and also this total under. Now we get my DK Network right up pick. 306651, 306-652. It is Alcorn State playing a Sioux Florida AM. AM is an underdog of anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10 points. Totals between 139 and 139 and a half. My right up here is gonna be on the over. I did semi total at a 146. You don't have two teams that really gun it in terms of their tempo. Alcorn State about 216th in the country in terms of total possessions bringing more around about 135 with 4 AM, but Neither of these teams close out on the glass. Alcorn State is about 290th in the country in terms of a percentage of opponent shots that do result in an offensive rebound. And for Floor A&M, this team is allowing opponents to grab 30.9% of their missed shots as an offensive rebound when they do at the road as well. And for Floor A&M, if you look at the raw numbers of them being 352nd in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, that would give you trepidation, but Jalen Spear has been very much able to transform this team. Spear is giving you 17.5 points, 3.5 boards, 4.5 assists, per contest was missing the first 10 games of the season. First 10 games of the year for AM without him scoring 80.5 points per one hour possessions with him 98.2 points per one hour possession. So an upgrade of about 17.7 points per one hour possessions and heck, the last time these two teams played granted both teams shot nearly 40% from three point range. That was a 76-67 game in which Alcorn State was able to pull off and you might be thinking that the three point hitting percentage might have a little bit of a fall off. Well, both of these teams have been two of the worst in terms of guarding the arc all season long. Alcorn State, 360th in the country in terms of home three-point shooting percentage defense, allowing opponents to shoot 41.6% from distance against them at home. For A&M, they're allowing opponents to overall shoot about 37.5% from three-point range against them away from home. But that's a 335th mark in all of college basketball as well. So both of these teams have been relatively ghastly on that front. And for Alcorn State, I do think that they're going to be able to win the battle down low because you do have the best rebounder in this game as Jeremiah Kendall has been able to give you about 6 half boards, 16 points per contest. And then you've got Jeremiah Gambrell, who's been able to shoot 40% from three-point range. He's been able to supply the team with 12 points per contest. I'd like to carry in Thorne as well. He's been a 36.5% three-point shooter. But on top of Spear, for Florian M, you've been able to get right around 12 points, five and a half boards, and and also a steal per contest out of Keith Omar. He's been able to step up in a nice way. But for Florian M, ever since they've gotten Spear back in the fold, they've given up 70-plus points in 10 out of their last 13 games. It has not helped out the defense at all. Certainly has been able to help out the offense. And for Florian M, they are going to lose this battle down low, in my opinion, 298th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Meanwhile, Alcorn State, they certainly have been far from amazing. But I do think that having Kendall down low allows them to be able to win that battle as Alcorn State with regards to their rebound rate. You're finding that more around 190th. But I do think that this line has went a little bit too far. You've been able to have Florian A&M just look a little bit more competent on offense in general. And though Alcorn State has given up fewer than 60 points in each of their last three games. Keep in mind, one of those games came against Mississippi Valley State. I think that they were very much the beneficiaries of circumstance. And I do think that both of these teams are going to play much like they did the first time around when you were able to get north of 140 points on the board. So my DK Network right up pick is going to be on the over. Semi-total 146 and with Alcorn State made them a 8-point favorite. So here at the 9.5 and 10, looking at the Rattlers of Florida A&M. 306, 653, 306-654. You've got Jackson State playing against Bethune-Cookman. And Bethune-Cookman is finding themselves as 5.5-point underdogs. So on this game between 147.5 and 148 with Bethune-Cookman, I did set them as an underdog of 6 points. So here at the 5.5, it's a maximum one away, but I'm going to be 
be one of the last. Fluster has come off of Jackson State a little bit. They had that nice win against Missouri to begin the season. Come to find out Missouri sinks, but Cat Evans is going to be the best player in this game. 18 points, 3 assists, shoots about 39.5% from 3, and then he'll be able to get 41.5%, 3-point shooting with 12.5 points, six boards per contest out of Jordan O'Neill as well. For Bethune-Cookman, this team is going to get absolutely plastered on the glass as they really don't have anyone that's able to give you north of about five and a half rebounds per game as main guy's been Reggie Ward to be able to give you about five boards per contest as a result. Bethune-Cookman, 302nd in the country with regards to rebound rate. Meanwhile, you've got Zeke Cook down low for Jackson State who has been able to give you about six to seven rebounds per game. Jackson State, not saying that they're amazing on the glass or anything like that, but they're within the top 275 with regards to their rebound rate. The big thing for Bethune-Cookman is, can they generate turnovers? You've got a trio of guys in the backcourt in Deshaun Dyson, along with Zion Harmon. They're in there as well, Jacoby Heaney, that they've been able to do a nice job pulling together for about 5.3 steals per contest. Heaney's the only of these three guys, though, that shoots about 31.5% for three. Heaney, 15.5 points on 34.5% three-point shooting. Meanwhile, Harmon and Dyson, they combine for about 28.5 points per game. I will say this, you have a Damani McIntyre who doesn't give you any scoring whatsoever. 3.1 points per contest, but just chuck in there about 2.5 steals per game as well, but for Bethune-Cookman, even though they generate a bunch of turnovers, they also give the ball away. They are giving the ball away about 14 and a half times for contest, and this is a Bethune-Cookman team that they are going to allow you a lot of wide-open looks from three-point range as well. Bethune-Cookman, about 279th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage for Jackson State. It's relatively rough, but they're a little bit better with this regard at, at home. Opponents shoot just 22.6% from three-point range against them. Certainly takes a drop-off when they're away from home, but I do think that Jackson State going to do a solid job taking control of this game, especially down low. So I did set my number at a six. I'm going to be one to lay the five and a half and did set my total at 150. Bethune-Cookman has been playing at a top 75 rate in terms of total possessions per game, and to their credit, they've gotten past the 79-point barrier in three other last five games going up against a Jackson State team that we have been seeing their defense crumble a little bit as well, giving up north of 69 points in four of their last six games, while they themselves scored at least 75 in each other last three. So looking at the over, and I'm going to be one to lay it with Jackson State. 306 You've got Prairie View. They're playing us Grambling. Grambling is an underdog of a point to a point and a half. Total on this game is 138. So Prairie View is a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. Prairie View is a top 15 team in all of college basketball. In terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis going up against Grambling team that is looking to hang their head on defense and Grambling has the advantage on the Prairie View. A bottom five team in the country in terms of their rebound rate. Even though you have been able to get a little bit more this season out Brian Miles who's been able to give you about eight and a half rebounds per game. Meanwhile, it's Antoine Burnett along Jonathan Aku on the flip side for Grambling. We'll be able to combine for about 10 rebounds per contest and I do like what you're able to get out of Trey Michael Morton. He's been having a little bit of a rough season thus far but has really been able to step up recently. Nine plus points in four of the last five games and he's had a combined eight steals in the last three games as well. This is for a Grambling team that's currently about 312th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and for Grambling, the defensive numbers overall for the season are still a bit rough. They're at about 212th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but you just look at what this team has been able to do in conference, and it has been quite remarkable. This Grambling bunch has not a lot north of 70 points, really in the entirety of this month, and if you want to date it back a little bit further, if you take a look ever since swag play has began, they have not allowed a single team to be able to get past the 70-point plateau other than the just super-duper up-tempo Arkansas Pine Bluff bunch at the end of January. So they've given up north of 70 points once in their last 10 games. I do think 
interesting, though, that for Grambling, them shooting just 31.5% for three, and them turning the ball over 13 times for contest, that's going to play right into the hands of a Prairie View team that, despite the fact that they're a top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game, they haven't generated a lot of offense. They have scored fewer than 72 points in now four out of their last six games. I do think that Grambling is going to get their slow, grimy style. They win the battle down low, but I do think that Prairie View going to wrestle the ball away with Charles Smith, the fourth, Lanchevante Hawkins, being able to combine for about 20.5 points per contest. Smith has been able to shoot 38% from three-point range, but all in all, Prairie View may shoot about 30.7% from the outside, but I do think the Prairie View going to be able to utilize those turnovers, be able to get the job done against a light-shooting Grambling team, so even when Grambling is able to break that pressure, they still aren't necessarily going to be able to get a bucket out of it. I did set my total as a result at a 137.5, diving in on the unders as the total is currently at 138, and willing to lay up to three here with Prairie View. Three of six, 657, three of six, 658. You've got Texas Southern playing goes to Southern. Southern is in a pick'em game slash they're as high as a one half point underdog total on this game. It is 138 and with Southern, I did set them as an underdog of two points. I'm going to be looking at Texas Southern for Southern. They are currently dealing with a injury to Tehran Joseph. That is their top score. He has been out since the 3rd of February and that's a big chunk of the Southern team to be out of the full because you don't have really anyone other than Mr. Brandon Davis who's able to give you double figures. Davis is able to give you about 12 and a half points per contest but for Southern, this is a bottom 50 team with regards to the rebound rate. Only one player on the roster, that'd be Derek Tazino, has been able to give you north of four rebounds per game. Tazino has been able to give you about five and a half boards per contest, but for Southern, now all of a sudden, they're going to be looking to the main point guard in TJ Ney Diabasi to really control things. He's able to give you about nine points, five assists per contest, but not really a go-to score. Meanwhile, for Texas Southern, they do have that go-to score. That'd be PJ Henry. 2.2 seals, 14 points per contest. It's a Texas Southern team that they're rough around the edges. Texas Southern, so outside the top 200 in terms points a lot on a per possession basis. They don't have a single guy on their roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but the rebound rate has been kicking up with this team. You've got Grayson Carter, who's been able to come in after being injured, giving you about seven and a half points, four and a half boards per contest, and Jonathan Cisse now shoots 36% from three-point range to really transform a Texas Southern team that, if you look at the overall metrics, it tells a different story than how they've been playing recently. They have scored at least 78 points in three out of their last four games. The defense, it has been a little bit more lively as well. They had a game that went to overtime against Florida A&M, so if you look at regulation and regulation only. The squad has now given up 66 points or fewer for the last five games. You've got a Southern team that has been able to ride the seven-game win streak, but a lot of them have been nip and tuck games. They have scored 73 points or fewer in four of their last five games. They've been a team that's really been hanging there at on defense as well. So even though both of these teams have been getting gashed defensively all season long, I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring slog with their current form. So I did something I told 136, diving in on the under of Texas Southern. Made them the two-point favorite Southern, currently being down their top scorer. So going to be willing to take Texas Southern in the spot and the under. 3 of 6, 659, 3 of 6, 6, 6, 6, You've got Alabama State playing us the Mississippi Valley State. The Delta Devils are an underdog of 15 to 15 half points. Don't on this game, you're finding it anywhere between 128 and a half and 129. Where do you want to start with Mississippi Valley State? Because they're dead last in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and they're dead last in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And actually, the separation in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis to the next worst team is actually closer on offense than defense. On defense, they're giving up more than two full points more per one hundred possessions than the next worst defense in the country. As for Mississippi Valley State, at the very least, we've got Raekwon Brown. He's able to give you 18 points, six boards, shoots 31% from three, but Mississippi Valley State shoots 27.5% from distance. There's 16.5 turnovers a game in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. That is a bottom three mark in all of college basketball. And you have only got two guys on the roster that give you north of three rebounds per game. Three guys on the roster that give you north of 2.1 rebounds per game. This team gets absolutely destroyed there. And for Alabama State, 
eighth. This has actually been a top 150 defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. You've got Madlock Square. Tony Madlock is the coach, and his son TJ Madlock. He does pretty much everything except pop threes. Gives you five boards, two and a half assists, 15 points, and then you've got Mr. C.J. Hines, who's been able to shoot 38% from the outside. Alabama State, a bottom 20 team with regards to their field goal shooting percentage this season, but they only do turn the ball for about 11.7 times for contest. It's an Alabama State team that they should be able to do a pretty sound job of being able to control things on the glass as well. So you've been able to get about six half rebounds per game out of Obang Okan for Alabama State. I do think that they're going to be able to take firm control of this game against the Mississippi Valley State team that they can't hang on to the ball. They've had a tough time with regards to their offense. They've been absolutely brutal in terms of their defense as well. And this is an Alabama State team that, while they're not some sort of an offensive juggernaut or anything like that, they've gotten to at least 68 points in four out of their last seven games going up against a Mississippi Valley State team that's now given up 77 plus in four of their last five games. Don't have a lot of confidence in Mississippi Valley State scoring, but I have confidence that they allow a bunch of points, which is why I did set my total at 129 here at the 128 half, looking over and willing to lay up to 17 with Alabama State. Made them a 17 point favorite when we wrap things up with 306661, 306662. Norfolk State plays us to NC Central. NC Central is an underdog of six points, and on this game it's 135 with Norfolk State. Made them a six half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number down for Norfolk State. This team is well outside the top 225 with regards to rebound rate, but not as if they're going up against some NC Central team that is absolutely going to destroy them on the glass. That's NC Central, 282nd in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound right now. I will say this about the NC Central backcourt. It is a very fearsome one and you've got one of the best names in all of college basketball. And Boy Boy King, who's been able to give you double figures. He's done a nice job of being able to contribute to the unit as He's joined alongside Frank Cleveland, along with also Jadarius Harris, who have combined for 31 points per contest. Cleveland gives you about five assists per game. Cleveland and King combined for three steals, and Harris and Cleveland, they both shoot about 36% for three for an NC Central team that they do as a collective shoot about 32.5% from three points. And to the credit of NC Central, even though they're not good down low, they're good at being able to guard the perimeter. 11th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. That goes down to sub-24% and on more around 32% in a roadside shoot court venue. Meanwhile, Norfolk State, they allow you to shoot just 32.5% from three points when they're at home. And for this Norfolk State team, even though you're not going to be able to get a lot down low, they only have to go up against Emmanuel Isabuner, who for NC Central gives you about 5.2 rebounds per game. And Jelani Darden, he gives you about that many rebounds for Norfolk State. Meanwhile, the UNC Wilmington transfer, Jamari Thomas, has been very solid for the Norfolk State team. Three and a half boards, three and a half assists, 17 points per game on 38% three point shooting. Norfolk State as a whole, they only shoot about 33% from three points. But where Norfolk State, I think, is going to be able to win this game is via turnovers. This is an NC Central team that can get a little bit loose with it. They're outside the top half of all of college basketball in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. And for the Norfolk State team, they've done a really good job of cranking up the uh, just pressure on you. 12th in the country in terms of turnovers force per offensive play. You saw Christian Ings, who is not shooting the same way from three-point range this year than he has in past seasons, but he's been able to give you a double-figure amount of points. Meanwhile, you do have Darden, who I was mentioning before as your top rebounder, also giving you a seal and half per contest and shooting 45.5% from three while being able to supply seven points per game. Norfolk State outside the top 325 with regards to total possessions per game. They're really locking it down on defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in far of their last five games, going up against an NC Central team that, all of a sudden, it's been very touch-and-go for them recently in regulation having scored fewer than 70 points in three out of their last five games. So, circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the number here with our folks eight, set them as a six-half point favorite, and set my total 132 and a half. I think that this is going to be a low-possession game where it's, both teams are going to have a tough time getting the ball in the basket, so looking under, and I'm going to be looking to lay up to six here with our folks eight, and that'll wrap things up for the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this 
this podcast. We do have one of two ways we have fired those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Twitter underscore one. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter. Size so per usual. Please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Buy that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.